the author of See the Strange, Brett Davis is an associate pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He is an MDiv from Beeson Divinity School and has a heart for Christocentric hermeneutics, specifically regarding the book of Revelation. He joins us today to talk about that exact topic. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate you taking time to do this. It's my pleasure, man. And uh, yeah, so I will we'll bounce right in. The, this basically, this conversation came about. Uh, my wife and I were um, attending church. We thought that my aunt would be at church one Sunday. So we popped in on her church in Manitou Springs, Colorado. And sure enough, you were there that day. And uh, and so Pastor Joe had, had had you do some things in the service and I think had you uh, do communion and pray out. And I turned to my wife and I went, who is this guy? Like, where, where did this guy come from? I'm like, he's, he's like theologically rich. And, and, you know, like I said, he had asked you to do communion and I was just very appreciative of uh, just some of the things you said. And um, um, you just kind of going, who is this guy? Um, so help us out a little bit. You, uh, just, just basic kind of life introduction. You grew up in the Southeast and, uh, went to divinity school and yeah. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I grew up, I'm, I'm way better talking about the Bible and Jesus than I am talking about myself, but I'll give it a go. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in and around the church. Um, I'm from uh, Metro Atlanta originally and, I would say that I always took Jesus and the Bible pretty seriously from the my earliest memories. I don't know, six, five, six, seven, something like that. Um, and as I took it seriously, one of the larger things looming in what I was hearing was the uh, all the talk about hell and about. Um, God's anger at sin. And so I took it very, very seriously. I'm one of the people that, you know, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was seven years old, you know, just shaking and sobbing when I was, uh, you know, down at the front. And then I did it, you know, every night for the next two years, you know, trying to, it's convincing God to save you is, yeah. you know, you're twisting the, his arm. Um, so I took, took, uh, Jesus very seriously, but then uh, as I grew up, um, kind of, I don't know, I dri- my heart drifted away from uh, it until I was probably in around 20, and then I, uh, I heard uh, a, a young preacher type guy named Rob Bell and started reading uh, C.S. Lewis, The Gateway Drug, into the great tradition and uh, discovered a Christianity that was much... It's like I'd been watching a Christianity on a small old tube, black and white tube set, and suddenly I was immersed in something large and big and three-dimensional, um, and I've been captivated by Jesus ever since. And um, So I've been, uh, yeah, a master MDiv, Beeson Divinity School, um, We've served in ministry for the last 10 or 15 years. Um, All of that, though, in the name of, wow, the scriptures are beautiful. Wow, Jesus makes the most sense of human, the human experience and human life than anything else that I have found. And so how how can I talk to people about that Um, is what I've been doing for the last uh, 
I guess, couple of decades and hopefully yeah. get to do it a little longer. So I, I got to make a quick plug for your website and here's why. So I, you know, it's hard cause you got to maintain that stuff and I'm not sure how many posts you've had kind of recently and whatever. Um, and, and yeah, you could obviously be found online and, and Twitter and all the things, but, um, your webpage has some really, really cool blog articles that I think bring together just really kind of neat, cool little factoids about modern culture, things like, I don't know, movies and games and literature. And you just have this really cool way of integrating scripture and, and its principles into just those sorts of topics. I mean, where did that come from? Or is that kind of part of your background is just an interest in, in literature and kind of those? Oh, that's a really great question. I I don't know if I've given that much conscious thought. I all I feel like I'm just the the least interesting person in the world a lot of times, and so um, the things that interest me, um, I'm glad if other people find them interesting. But like I, you know, I I had to look up who was recently playing in the Super Bowl because I didn't, I, <laughs> I, I truly didn't know, and I just don't care. Yeah. Um. And so when it comes to whether it's film or literature or board games or you know whatever, um. You know, those are things that I, I tend to view everything through since since I was 20 and had kind of this experience of uh, feeling like I was immersed in Jesus world. Um, I, I can't take off the Jesus glasses. And so regardless of what I'm doing, I feel like whether it's playing a game or watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I am seeing it through Jesus colored Glasses. Very cool. So just one one person that you kind of remind me of in that way that I had a pretty cool experience uh, to meet kind of early on in life when I first went to college that made kind of an impression on me that way uh, was actually Greg Boyd. And so just one kind of person that you do remind me of is Greg Boyd in the sense that he's very good at just taking these like cool, you know, either scientific or just things about culture or psychology or whatever it is, uh, and just really, and and also art, uh, and just really integrating them in a very cool way. I mean, he, hey, not everyone agrees with everything Greg Boyd believes in terms of philosophy and and, and theology and all of that, but um, a really uh, incredible person. And I, I think um, just a really fun guy that like when you hear him speak or, or look him up on YouTube or whatever, you're like, I, I would love to hang out with that guy. He's really cool. And so in that sense, you definitely remind me of Greg Boyd. Uh, and so I'll take that as a giant compliment. And I don't know if any of us would agree with any of uh, anybody else on the planet if we dug down deep totally. into uh, the recesses of what we believe. But Greg Boyd is one of the more passionate people that I've discovered about Jesus and trying to view reality through the lens of yeah, Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think his... I receive that. Authentic and just, um, you know, he's just captivated by this in yeah. a way that I think is really compelling. And and, and, um, and yeah, so the other thing, you, you talked a little bit about kind of that Christological lens uh, and and almost a paradigm for, for viewing life in general. And I I think you certainly bring this to this book, See the Strange. And, mm. and so, you know, we'll, we'll obviously get into it and I've got sections of it and we'll read parts of it and whatnot. Um, but just how how did that process of book writing come about? Where, how did that journey just, you know, for you, how did that come about? And, and tell us about that path a little bit. Oh, uh, so uh, uh, I never, I didn't really set out to write a book on Revelation kind of stumbled my way into it. Uh, I was pastoring 
my journey into ministry has been one of fits and starts, and I've just continued long obediencing in the same direction towards it because it feels like this thing within me that I, I join Moana sometimes in saying, like, what is wrong with me? Um, because I feel like I can't shake this thing. Yeah. Um, and I was pastoring a, um, a very small dying congregation in Northwest Denver. Um, and we knew it was, it was a, a frankly hard soil when we, when we stepped into it and it lasted about three years. Um, and at one point we were looking, I think we had spent 12 weeks going through Matthew over the summer. And then, uh, I asked a couple of the kids in the congregation, um, because elementary school age kids were, uh, were in, were, would be present on Sunday mornings. And I asked, what do you, what would you like for, what part of the Bible would you like to hear us talk about? And they were like, revelation. And so, <laughs> so, so of course, course I said, challenge accepted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was back in, I guess, 2016. And, uh, and yeah, I, I started, I've always been, I can remember as a little boy, like sitting my, I come from my dad's a Southern Baptist, retired Southern Baptist uh, pastor and I can remember sitting in his office with the book of Revelation open and just being very, very confused about it, beasts and, and dragons, you know, all of it. Um, and then that combines with the fear that you're hearing, um, and, um, and many Christians just completely avoid it. My personality, I don't know if it's a, a plus or a minus of my personality, I tend to kind of obsess over hmm. um, maybe worst case scenarios. And so I was like, okay, let me just dive right into this. And the longer I looked at it, the more um, I became convinced. Uh, I just actually, it's funny you bring up Greg Boyd. I'd, um, I don't know if the timetable works, but somewhere around there, I'd been influenced by crucifixion of the warrior God and seeing, uh, being able to um, the thesis of that is profoundly um, influential on me that we understand what God is like through Jesus. So whatever revelation is, it must be not just Christocentric, it must be cru cruciform in nature. Um, and I hadn't heard many people talk about that, but I um, stumbled my way through 16 weeks of preaching uh the book of revelation and then the really, um, I manuscript sermons so that I get really, um, laser focused being able to just and be present with people before and after rather than anxious mm -hmm. and regretful sure. after. And, uh, I, I ended up having these 16 sermon manuscripts that I thought, well, um, I'd had good response and a couple of family members in the church had passed them around to certain people. And they said, you really should put this and make it in a more accessible form. And so I did that. And it's been, as I said, it's been fits and starts in ministry and it was a tough season. And so I, it became something that I was just working on while I was working a job outside of the church ended up uh, I ended up asking emailing Richard Bauckham cold yeah. cold yeah, calling yeah, him yeah. and uh, asking him if he would uh, take a look at it Incredible. and then he said yes and he gave me some great feedback on it and then eventually I was like well I'm just gonna roll the dice I feel like life isn't working at all let's see if he'll uh, <laughs> write the forward and he said yes he was very gracious with um, writing uh, writing the forward to it um, so it's an entirely self-published book 
project at this point, and it's very different than anything else that I've ever seen on the book of Revelation. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think the short answer to that is I kind of stumbled into it, um, obsessing over what does this book mean through a cruciform lens? Yeah. Because that's ultimately what I believe uh, the universe is about. Is yeah, yeah. About the Absolutely. God. Well, it, it, I mean, it is known as the hermeneutical key, right? And so just seeing scripture as, as whether it's the Old Testament. And so Jesus' comments on the road to Emmaus about, you know, effectively the Old Testament kind of representing who he is. And, and, and obviously what we see in the New Testament in those writers kind of going back and going, wait, yeah, Isaiah and, and Hosea and, you know, Amos and all of these prophecies yeah, and about things Jesus. for sure. And, it's and so that's Jesus. a, I mean, uh, and then the other thing is that I just noticed right off the bat is that the book is really enjoyable to read. And, and that's not something that one can say about all commentaries. And so how, uh, I mean, did you struggle with that a little bit? So uh, we'll get into passages and, and obviously some of the nuts and bolts issues of it. But in terms of its kind of style, it's it's light, it's fun, it's approachable. Um, was that on purpose? How did that come yeah. about in terms of that the style? Yeah, it's w- w- without question, it was on purpose. Um, my Something that burns really deeply within me is there's we can use theological language a lot of times to disguise the fact that we don't really know what we're talking about. Um, And so, I mean, the amazing number of people that I guess uh, you wouldn't want to put someone on the spot, but just what does righteousness mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And someone will just kind of look at you Mm -hmm. blink a couple of times because, you know, uh, we don't really know what these words mean. And so, I don't know, somewhere deep in the past, I just decided that I wanted uh, to be able to, for my own sake, I wanted to be able to understand what's being talked about without using um, kind of Christianese or using religious uh, good words that ha- that have s- such um, history, though, mm-hmm. that they've become kind of like dusty and calcified and really don't mean much. And so as much as possible, uh, it's really just trying to get into the scripture and see that the scripture is it's not meant to – it is not dusty. It is not calcified. And if our translations or our approaches to it are are lending us to think that way, we um, we ought to reevaluate. And then the um, the thing that I worked really hard on, as far as the style of the writing of the book, is I wanted to create something that was as hospitable as possible. Um, the book has got um, kind of. I call them homespun illustrations in them, but it's just, you know, doodles and, and stick people mm-hmm. and, and dragons and, you know, whatever else, uh, horses that I, I was wanting. The book of Revelation is the scariest book of the Bible and the most intimidating. And I was thinking, what if we could create a book that from the eye chart cover that's, you know, just clean and white to opening it up and the layout of the pages are spaced and you could flip through and you, and I wanted somebody who not just doesn't read um, Christian books and Mm -hmm. not just read commentaries, but I want, I wanted it to be accessible 
to somebody who doesn't read period. Um, yeah, like that. I haven't read a book in three years, but this interests me for sure. I can flip through it and I'm like, Oh, maybe I could read this. Yeah. Um, I feel like JK Rowling maybe did that for an entire generation of people with fiction and Harry Potter of people that had never read before suddenly found themselves, you know, swept up in her writing. And I was like, man, if somebody could do that for revelation, that'd be great. And then it just kind of, maybe that should be me. Well, you're going to get commissioned to, to write, you know, you got like roughly 65 books to go. So, I mean, good luck with that. And, uh, that sounds like a life's work. Uh, that would be a lot of fun, but yeah, it's, it's super playful. I mean, it's, it's got some, it's got phenomenal one-liners. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, it's kind of awkward cause I'll be basically just saying some of your words back at you oh, please, in, in terms please, of writing, just, but there's just, there's a lot tell of, me what a wise man said. Well, yeah, right. No, but there's great one-liners in it. And I mean, um, this one really stuck out to me and it is, it's just in chapter one, but it just says it's ironic that the popular American way of interpreting revelation gets things almost entirely backwards. We often assume that the future is the primary thing, the main thing, the real thing. And Jesus just happens to be somewhere in the future. Instead, the Bible ends with Jesus revealed as reality center and the future happens to be somewhere in him. I mean, that, that's pretty impressive writing and just the, the, the concept that, um, you know, that, that Jesus represents a sort of foundational element to reality itself is certainly represented other parts of scripture. Colossians one, you know, people think of the opening of the book of John and and all of these things, but, um, yeah, just maybe just expound on that a little bit in, in the sense that like Jesus as a, as representative of reality's core of the goal and, and telos of the end and all of that. Yeah. The really, the hard thing about um, that's something that we need to get straight first and foremost, because a lot of times I grew up in, in Sunday school land, you know, I don't mean to be pejorative in the way that I'm talking about it, but just shorthand <laughs> grew up in Sunday school world, flannel yeah, yeah. crafts, that sort of thing. And it felt like Jesus is kind of like a Bible character and the Bible's the main thing. And Jesus happens to be a character in the Bible. It's only been, you know, in adulthood that I've recognized that, no, the Bible's actually the product of a movement in within history. And Jesus was a, was someone in history and now is Lord of history. Mm-hmm. And that um, he he isn't a character locked in the pages of the Bible. These documents are actually witnessing to him. And so in some sort of way, they, they need to be, um, he ought to be recognizable in the pages of something like revelation. A lot of times people will talk about revelation as if it is, uh, as if it is this book tacked onto the end of the Bible that is primarily there as some sort of Indiana Jones mm-hmm. cryptic puzzle to solve. And man, if the future, if we could just decode this thing, then man, the future would be the thing. And that's the really important thing. And I just want to say, I think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actually have it right. And Paul was just obsessed with the king and his kingdom and so what if Revelation actually rather than um, if, if we stood it on its head and said the primary thing is what we found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Revelation, with all its kind of uh, strangeness, isn't um, 
isn't something pointing us in a different direction, in the opposite direction. Some sure. people will characterize Jesus within Revelation, mm-hmm. the, the very difficult to interpret imagery of Revelation, and they'll say Jesus is coming back as a prize fighter, a cage fighter, you know. Um, I say that he's coming, you know, we pretend like he's coming back as Batman, that he's been up in heaven brooding about the injustice done to him. And so instead of loving loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, he's come back, he's coming back as the one to slaughter enemies. And those who persecute you, I've got even bigger persecution for you with gnats. And th- I don't mm-hmm. think there are gnats in, in Revelation. There aren't gnats in Revelation. <laughs> I can say that. But with, with locusts and, you yeah. know, and, and sores and, you know, all the rest of it. I've got, you know, my belt of tricks that I'm going to inflict punishment on you. And to that, we must say no. Whatever the Christian movement is, it is a movement of uh of divine love expressed in the most extreme way of enemy love and this kind of love that transforms enemies into, uh, into family, mm-hmm. <laughs> according yeah. to Romans five. Yep. Um, we, we were the enemies of God and then God's love transforms us into family. And so whatever the, the Bible is fr- frankly, it's either non revelation either doesn't belong in the Bible or, mm. Or it needs to be congruent yeah. with the Sermon on the Mount, hmm. and if you get to choose, if you have to choose between a, an interpretation of Revelation that is violent and filling you with fear and making you hate another political party or people of another country, or if you have to choose between that and the Sermon on the Mount, you choose the Sermon on the Mount every single time. But I do mm-hmm. think that there are ways of understanding Revelation that are even better than what we were handed growing up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I concur. I mean, I grew up in, in very much the same environment. Uh, I mean, I remember, um, uh, and so, yeah, so we're talking a little bit about kind of the some of the Pentecostal perspectives on this in that you're at New Life Church, and, and that is kind of some of the podcast, but I think this is such an important topic and such a um, such an incredible book that I'm, I'm, I'm just just excited that you're, you're even doing this. And so thank you. Um, and so, but yeah, I absolutely grew up in an environment where, you know, you walk in, uh, as a child at eight years old and the Sunday school class is like going to war over these things. And, and, and there's, you know, there's all kinds of crazy drawings on a chalkboard at the back and some, uh, some guy with some authority who has a, who has a take on it that is compelling is, um, you know, is kind of spinning a sort of web and pulling people in. And then we're pulling in the Hal Lindsey book and then we're pulling in, um, you know, in some ways we're, we're kind of drawing from fictional things about, about the end or, or apocalypticism in our age or, or our times politically and all of those things. Uh, it, it is a, it is a kind of confusing web that can get spun pretty quickly, uh, when you're talking about symbolism, all of those things. And I think the book is, is great about that. Um, yeah. And we might say that, uh, I, it's a distinctly American thing that we've done in, um, it, in spinning the fiction that we have spun of Revelation it, it, in the last hundred years, and you can trace the origins of it through, you know, Darby and the Schofield Bible uh, up through, um, you know, Hal Lindsey and then Left Behind, we have we have sensationalized um, eschatology. And I'm not I'm not convinced that Revelation is primarily about eschatology, and we can talk about that if you want, uh, but. Uh, we have sensationalized our eschatology for the sake of um, 
for the sake of money is is really what's happened it sells uh, everybody wants to read the latest greatest like um you know the walking dead or mad max yeah. or you know mad max might be a little dated at some but like what whatever the the post apocalyptic mm-hmm. you know future is terminator the matrix um what this is 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 a christian version mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, particularly um some forms of pre premillennial dis- dispensationalism um that has it's it's something familiar that we see in movies, but it's been baptized and and kind of christened for um, for a certain demographic yeah. and subculture. And it actually, the other thing that that you allude to in the book, and I think that is important, especially just given the last four or five years in this country, is that it also does provide a sort of backdrop narrative for other sort of. Um, sentiments within Christian culture that that really want to amount to a sort of triumphalism and dominion sort of theology. Uh, could you maybe just speak to that a little bit just about how, yeah, this book can be kind of weaponized. It can be kind of, it can arm us to things that maybe aren't so helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. It becomes, revelation becomes the, I, at one point in the book, I called a Rorschach test, the ink blot of that it it becomes this thing that you have you've got your grid of the future and how all the pieces need to be laid out on the on the board and um and suddenly you are either really excited when your team is winning because you feel like the future we're going to this to to this future and somehow we're on the we've got the right person in power or you despair when someone else is in power and you start throwing accusations, I mean, goodness, and this is a long Christian tradition. I don't know if it could properly be called Christian, Christ-like, but the, a, a tradition within Christianity of, of villainizing uh, leaders, of, of villainizing popes, of, you know, mm-hmm. Martin Luther pointing to the pope and calling him, you know, sure. the the beast, the, the the pope pointing at Martin Luther and calling right. him the beast. For sure. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, um, it is unfortunately, I think, the most misunderstood book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I concur. And so, well, let's talk a little bit about, you talk, um, I mean, the title of the book is See the Strange. And uh, there's a quote in there that just says, hey, Revelation helps us see by being strange. And so, you know, that's kind of a strange sentence in itself because you're going, okay, something that has symbolism or that isn't maybe isn't clear in some ways actually helps us uh, understand better or something. Could you describe a little bit about that, how it does have kind of a quality of, you know, apocalypticism and it's got some aesthetic qualities and why does being strange help us see? Well, it's one of those things that um, I, you've opened your home here and it, and thank you for that. I was driving here a few minutes ago because um, we both live in Colorado Springs. And as I was driving, I was headed west towards the mountains and the clouds are really low uh, today. And Pikes Peak is actually like poking up above the clouds. Very cool. And uh, it was, and I, I was looking at it as I was driving and I was thinking, Pikes Peak is not that tall. Why, how in the world is it that tall? It it must be taller today than it was, <laughs> you know, a couple of days ago. Um, and it's not. It's because something has come, ha, came rolling in and um, is making me see something that was already there in a new way. Yeah. It's striking me and I'm all of a sudden captivated by it. I think that's what's happening with Revelation is 
the story of, you know, a, an itinerant Jewish rabbi who's executed by church and state in the first century. And then suddenly there's the relentless rumor that he is alive, that he has emerged out the other side of death, that he is recreating humanity around him and within the community that is uh, pledged its allegiance to him. That story, I wonder if like we might yawn at it if we if we heard it too much. I mean, if growing up in church tells you anything, it's like these things can get old really, really quickly. Um, and I just tried to choose all of my words very carefully in in that previous sentence of trying to defamiliarize people mm-hmm. to the story of Jesus. Yep. Um, I think Revelation is doing that except on a like grand scale on the most style. I mean, and we appreciate this as a culture. We appreciate movies and television shows that take what is familiar. And so it's, it's not complete, so completely unfamiliar that we are lost. Those are kind of like the art house films Mm -hmm. that you're scratching your head. Sure. What is this about? Yeah. Um, Instead, what Revelation is doing is it's taking a familiar story. It's the the story of God choosing to redeem the world through Israel and through Israel's Messiah and promising that one day blessing will eradicate curse. That grand story is being told in like mythic language here at the end of scripture. And when we gaze at dragons and lambs and lakes of fire and crystal seas. Um, when we, when we gaze at these sorts of things, suddenly it's like the clouds rolling in over Pike's peak. Hmm. And it's like, Whoa, is that what we're talking about? Because that is, that takes my breath away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's some, so in that way, it's helping us see what's already been there, mm-hmm. but it's just, painting it with such stylized language yeah. that we may actually wake up to the gravity of it, yeah. to, the, to the profound significance yeah. of it. Which is weird because Christians have lots of good examples of that, even in Christian fiction, even, I mean, George MacDonald and C.S. Lewis and, and Madeline Langle. And, and we obviously have lots of examples. You, you did use the example of the HG Wells war, the world's kind of radio broadcast in the book and just going, Hey, it's kind of like that in some ways, not, not the apocalyptic is not the end of the world things, but just in how it's, um, yeah, it's just stylized. It's, it's crisp. It's, it's, um, and that if you misunderstand the genre yeah. of what's being done, um, like war of the worlds, when that's broad being broadcast across, sure. you know, America on people's radios, they misunderstood that they were hearing a dramatization of, of fiction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, CBS made the mistake yeah. of announcing that during the middle of the broadcast instead of the beginning. <laughs> um, and so suddenly this very stylized, compelling mm-hmm. thing, um, becomes, you know, a place of profound like fear and misunderstanding yeah. because you misunderstood what the thing is. The, yeah. It's this is a drama. This is not a news broadcast. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, genre obviously plays a, a huge part in this. And, and um, you mentioned that. So in, in, in revelation one, four, uh, it becomes really apparent that this is actually a letter written, uh, written to churches. And uh, it also mentions just 
the the phrase grace and peace. Uh, and and you mentioned in the book about how that's uh, sometimes that idea is in combination, uh, in a very sharp sense, with with some negative things like pain, suffering, groaning. And so grace and peace are actually kind of complex in that they sound real passive. They sound real um, kind of maybe Sermon on the Mountie or, you know, Psalm 23 or whatever. But in some ways, um, a letter like this does come with a complexity of, of combining, you know, these sorts of dialectical emotions of, of grace and peace to you, but also, you know, suffering or pain or could you just go into that a little bit? And yeah, we tend to think of grace and peace. We hear those sorts of words and we think of them like precious moments, figurines or something, or like the family circus comic, or I don't know, just something or, or, or blippy is a new example. I've got blippy on I mean, For Those of you who don't know what blippy is, it's uh it's a kid's show, a, mo- a modern kid's uh, show that's been, uh, it was on YouTube and then bought by Amazon. But, um, yeah, we tend to think of it as kind of these like almost silly or trivial and kind of like floppy jellyfish kinds of words that are just kind of spineless. They don't really have the grit mm-hmm. and the and the power to do something in the world. And what I what I would want to say is that Revelation by initi- by beginning with a, a John um insisting that he's offering grace and peace to people is he's saying this message is ultimately one that is for your redemption and your good this is mm-hmm. there's a there's a heart of love coming through this mm-hmm. and that is not opposed to pain difficulty like struggle ambiguity question marks all of the, all of the above um in fact mo- for most of us um I can speak for myself. I would not wish to relive some of the hardest things that I've lived through. And I, they have been just the most powerfully transformative things on my character and who I am that, um, that I've ever experienced. And I think that's a picture of the cross is ultimately the, I mean, we're getting back to the, to the heart of the Christian message that somehow what God is doing in the world is God comes among us and takes the, he doesn't, he doesn't, you would never accuse Jesus of being spineless or a jellyfish or anything like that in the extension of grace and love and peace through the cross. But I think that's what God is doing uh, in all of our lives through really difficult things. He's forming us, shaping us. He's taking the schemes of the enemy and um, kind of uh, judo flipping them yeah. for good. And I think that's what Revelation is ultimately offering pictures of as well, is all of the, I use the analogy of um, of chemotherapy in the book, that like some of the the hardest images uh, in the book, and it is a book full of difficult images, but we have a framework for understanding that sometimes health and healing looks like pain and suffering because you've got to destroy the thing that's destroying the world in the word, in the a language of, um, it's near the heart of the book in Revelation eleven thirteen, I think it is, um, the time has come for you to destroy those who are destroying the world. We've got lots of things that are destroying the world. And things that I am clinging to that is des- that are destroying me. 
and mm-hmm. God is mm-hmm. slowly prying my fingers off mm-hmm. of them. And by his grace, he's going to get my fingers off of them and he's going to save me from from the death that I choose over life. Um, but the process looks a little hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think that's some of what the imagery is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, you talk about how in John 1, there is kind of this... Uh, you know, there's almost a commissioning of this book by by Jesus in the vision. So, so John basically sees one like the Son of Man. Um, can you give us a small background on on just that title for people that may not just be as familiar with it? What is Jesus up to with the Son of Man image and and that title of himself? Sure. Yeah, Son of Man is. Um, everybody likes to call Jesus Messiah, according to the accounts that we have in at least the synoptic, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, Gospels. Um, everyone wants to call him King. Everyone wants to call him Messiah, Anointed One, Christ. Um, and Jesus wants to call himself Son of Man, um, which is a very, uh, it means human, a, a human person, a, a human one. And uh, it's, uh, ironically, it's w- probably the most divine title that Jesus could give himself. Uh, Son of God is the title of the king in ancient Israel. Think Psalm 2, you know, as an easy example. Um, I've become your father, you've become my son, and it's set over the king. Son of man, though, is this um, trippy figure that was very, very popular in the centuries before Jesus, uh, and he originates out of the scroll of Daniel. Uh, it's this, uh, Daniel tells the story in Daniel chapter seven of all these monstrous animals that are coming out of the sea. And they, uh, in case we were confused, he interprets (laughs) it for us. These are not literal beasts, uh, nor are they, um, I don't know. They're not whatever we want to make them. They're kingdoms. He calls them kings and kingdoms, and they are their monster kingdoms. And then suddenly, after a fourth monstrous kingdom, a human kingdom arrives, and it's embodied in this human. Some it's like monster after monster in Daniel seven, and then finally. Ah, oh, a humane one, hmm. a human one, mm-hmm. someone who is actually going to embody the vocation given to humanity on the first page of the Bible and to go and rule the world on God's behalf. Um, we've got one like the Son of Man, and then this figure um, is coming in the clouds, and by coming we mean going, going to the ancient of days. He's come from God's perspective. He's coming, um, going up in the clouds, and then get, getting very dangerously close to Yahweh Himself um, there in the uh, there in the in the chapter. So yeah, that's the that is the title that, um, and it seems to represent. Uh, the entire people of Israel and then the human vocation in Daniel 7. And and Jesus is grabbing that title and saying, Israel's vocation, the human vocation, it's all on my shoulders. Let me show you how to do it. And then he loves to the point where he bleeds and he dies. And then he merges out the other side and says, see, love can't be killed. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's incredible 
I mean, obviously the life of Jesus represents that sort of incredible uh, fulfillment in the deepest sense. And and so in some ways, Revelation does kind of carry, just continues to carry that ball forward, uh, you know, in, in, in reinterpreting the same sort of topic in, in a, in a very different way, in a strange way, in an enigmatic way. And um, you, you mentioned the temptation in the book. So this is a quote, the knowledge that Revelation employs symbolism comes as such a relief uh, because John basically says, Hey, this is, you know, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. The end te- of, at the end yeah, of chapter and one, chapter one he, he kind of gives us the, gives the clue and you say yeah. that we're tempted to start following John's example. It's tempting to start trying to explain, decode, demystify every single image in the book. We could start right here with John's depiction of Jesus in chapter one, since he's already given us a jump start in the meaning uh, and of the lampstands and the stars. And so then you actually diagram out how we could kind of go through all of that and kind of one-to-one and everyone knows what I'm talking about in their heads because we all went through high school, but it's like, hey, you know, lampstands, church is uh, Jesus, you know, um, it becomes you know, an algebra proof. Of yeah, like absolutely. You wanting to find the equal sign for sure. Like we've got our decoder in chapter one. And so we're going to hit the rest of the book and just figure out what, what this whole thing's about. Um, why is that not helpful? And, and, um, yeah, explain I, that a little bit. I, I mean, it is helpful in some sort of way because at some point you have to, um, you have to do that for the, for the, otherwise it's, it just becomes, um, a menagerie of imagery of images um, that is just profoundly confusing. However, the danger, the, the danger on this side of the road and what you're, what you're pointing us to is um, if this ultimately becomes a game of, of decoding the ciphers of, okay, now I've got the entire book diagrammed and I know every single, um, what every single image means at that point, you've uh, you, the butterfly's dead. The mm-hmm. it's pinned up on the board mm-hmm. and it might be diagrammed and stuff, but the whole point of revelation and the reason it comes to us in this strange form, I'm convinced is because it's, it's meant to make us see it's meant to be uh, compelling our emotions. And just like John driving us down to our knees in worship, rather than um, filling us up. And we all have met the person that is like, oh, I've got the, you know, it doesn't have to be the book of Revelation. It can be anything um, that you you suddenly learn a little bit about it. And you're like, oh, I know, I know. And they're just like this giant bloated brain Mm -hmm. walking around ready for somebody to ask them about it because I've got all the answers and I'll tell you. And, um, revelation isn't meant to be filling up our, uh, brains. It's meant to be softening our hearts and calling us. I'm convinced to be following the lamb wherever he goes, as it says in chapter 14, which means loving, um, I think nonviolence, to the point where we would follow Jesus to the cross and carry our cross rather than inflicting it on anybody else that it's meant to be working on our hearts, not on our, mm-hmm. not primarily on our heads. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, just a couple other quick quotes that, that I thought were notable that are kind of right down that same line. I mean, quote revelation seems carefully designed to humble us. Uh, and then you also said revelation is primarily meant to be absorbed, not analyzed. Maybe, maybe expand on that a little bit, just kind of that suspension of what you're talking about being off to the races in terms of a logarithmic attitude in, in figuring this thing out. Maybe talk a little bit about how that that's, that's kind of affected you as well. The idea that we just kind of let scripture 
fall on us. We just sit with it. We just, it just exists in front of us and we are humbled by it. We are, we are brought under its authority. Maybe describe that or, or what you meant by, yeah, by absorbed and not analyzed. Yeah. The, I think the, the notion for me is that we, um, I, I want to say something about my, my girls right here. Um, I have two girls and they are, uh, just turned six and five and I have a relationship with them. It is a living relationship. Uh, it is, uh, immediate. It is down on my knees. It's playing on a good day. It's also lots <laughs> yeah, yeah. of crying and weeping and gnashing yeah, yeah, of yeah, teeth. Yeah, yeah. I know that both of those sides, but yeah. Um, it's it's something that is not subject to analysis. You do need spaces for self-reflection and making sure that you are, um, I don't know, not wandering into, I don't know, destructive things, you know, or I, I don't even know what I'm talking about here. But like you, you want to make sure that you're parenting them well and you want to make sure that you're on the right trajectory with um, with ha- like you're not self-deceived in however you're approaching parenting styles, whatever. But that space of analysis is not the primary place where you live, I guess is the point that I'm wanting to say. And human life and the, the living Jesus is not someone that is primarily meant to, he is not um, beneath us so that we can analyze Mm -hmm. him. He is not um, the butterfly that we pin Mm -hmm. to the, to the board and we can figure out, no, we're in a, a living dynamic, immediate um, thing called the human experience called life. And uh, so whatever we're doing is uh, in approaching scripture in general is meant to be an encounter with this living, this living one who loves us and is working for our good, even though it means crucifying the death within us. Um, and when we come to Scripture and see Scripture primarily as a means of encountering the living one, rather than Scripture is this answer book that I can get things from or a formula book that I can you know, somehow control my life through or get God to do what I want, um, all of those things are putting us in the driver's seat and all of those things are making us kind of like the, the center of the story. And I, if Jesus is alive, Jesus is the center and he's drawing us into his orbit. And so what we're doing when we approach scripture is where we are being awakened by his spirit mm-hmm. to, uh, to his presence. Yeah. That's a difficult line to toe as a pastor in the sense that, um, and this is a difficult book uh, maybe as a pastor because you've got people uh, of all different maturity levels and, and obviously, you know, number of years in the faith and different levels of sanctification, all these, all these things. I mean, how, how do you kind of approach that tension of telling people that there are helpful things in learning about scripture, maybe, you know, things that we're talking about genre hermeneutics and, and some textual help and, and commentaries and all those things. And at the same time, you know, not trying to place a barrier or, or make it so high and mighty or theological that it's like, Hey, you need to have a doctorate in hermeneutics in order to even think about looking at revelation. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, yeah, I ultimately for me, it's a, it's a question of like, 
all pastoring is, is trying to name a particular kind of relationship is, is what it is. Um, it is a relationship with, um, ideally, um, like the platonic form of pastoring perhaps is, um, somebody gazing at Jesus and then turning and pointing other people to Jesus and saying, hey, let's follow him together. Mm-hmm. And what's he doing? Oh, he's wrapping a towel around his waist. He's serving the world with love. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's bleeding for mm-hmm. the sake of the world. He's not willing to take up um, arms against someone else or inflict violence. He's absorbing violence himself. Oh, well, let's do that together. Uh, I mean, yes, it... Uh, we live in a complex world and the age of information and the amount of st- the staggering amount of like expertise that you can go down in any field. And it's not just, you know, scripture or um, anything kind of like church or Bible related. It's any field. Um, we have so much information that um, a lot of people in this post in post modernity are just kind of throwing up their hands and saying, "Screw it! I don't know mm-hmm. if there's any truth." Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. it's because we're so inundated with the amount of information that we're just, we despair. Um, I would just want to ref. I I do as as a pastor. I try to refocus people on Jesus. I keep pointing people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And is that commentary helping you? giving you shedding light if you're using the historical critical method on on scripture mm-hmm. and it's helpful um is it helping you follow jesus are you a better parent are you a better mm-hmm. neighbor are you a better employee um that would be the direction that i would want to point somebody in is the immediate um question of of, of Jesus of Nazareth and are you following him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that question of posture it comes up. This is another quote. So John falls at Jesus's feet, although as though dead, that's the reaction of anyone who really begins to see God. And that's the, that's the reaction revelation aims to provoke. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. Just how, how you approach scripture, how you've maybe been humbled by it in that same sort of way or where that's become kind of visceral in the same sense as John. Has there ever been a time where you just came to the text and, had a similar kind of just reckoning with it that, that just brought you to your knees and, or, or continually does that somehow. Yeah. I, I mean, I honestly, I would, I, I point to, I, I went to seminary about 10 years ago. I graduated from Beeson Divinity School. Beeson, what's up? Um, and I think when I went into Beeson, I really wanted to, um, use scripture for my ends. I wanted to say clever things and be applauded, frankly. Um, and ultimately I wanted to be applauded, which is, uh, would be some sort of vindication of my existence, some sort of like validation. You're okay. Um, and going back to grace and peace being, you know, really, hard things. Uh, I, I went through a really, uh, difficult personal thing about six months after graduating from seminary. And my life was like in wreckage. It was, it was just 
gone. I didn't know where I was going to live for a couple of days. Um, and thankfully, the church came around to me. My church, Mosaic Birmingham. What's up, Mosaic? <laughs> um, came around me. My I, my pastor invited me to crash on his couch for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. um, and helped me kind of reorient my life. All of that, um, it became an experience of of realizing, oh no, we're talking about real things. We're talking about like life and death kinds of crises in this world of like really hard, terrible things happen. Um, not just to us, but like we participate in those things. We contribute to it. And yet the spirit of God is working through this community around me and putting my life back together. And so I, I that was back in, uh, 10 years ago at this point um, in the year 2012 and that experience and it was a long arduous I mean it I, we were talking before we turned on the mics that it, I mean it took some some things it's taken about 10 years to kind of like finally be like clicking into place and being like oh yes I feel like um a particularly vocational ministry. I haven't been. I haven't been in full time uh, vocational ministry except for the last two years. Um, all of that has dramatically changed the way that I I understand scripture because scripture isn't something that is meant to be debated or uh, truth matters. I'm not trying to say anything uh, remotely to the contrary. What I'm saying is, God is endless eternal love and somehow he has given us existence in this world it's a profound gift that we lose sight of and he's speaking to he and anybody who wants to read a book on the way that the the uh world world has been changed by the christian movement read a tom holland's dominion um tom holland is um i he a lot of times he's characterized as an atheist. I think he's more kind of agnostic at this point, but he's definitely not like a, you know, a card carrying member of uh, the Christian movement. Um, and, or certainly hasn't been most of his life. Um, and he's pointing to the fact that God, this somehow the Christian movement has changed the world in introducing to us things like human dignity <laughs> that was inconceivable in the ancient world. The world has been changed by the God of love, particularly through Jesus and his church um, is where the spirit of Jesus, it continues to change the world um, and lots of other places too, but the church is the manifest place where we're saying this is what's happening. And so whatever the scriptures are there for, they're there to help us get in on that. They're not, we're not meant to be competing, you know, uh, on the side and being like, we basically become James and John arguing Mm -hmm. about who's the greatest. I've got the greatest theology. Mm -hmm. No, my theology is going to make me sit at the right hand of, you Mm -hmm. know, the Messiah when he comes in power. And Jesus is just shaking his head and saying, guys, you are loved. Mm-hmm. And will you love others? Will you take the low way? Because the Henry Nowen has a, just a the downward trajectory of Jesus mm-hmm. is what we're invited into. And if Scripture is not inviting us to follow Jesus, then we are not reading Scripture Christianly. 
and and in that way, in that met, in that in that kind of self yeah. uh, self examination yeah. and and lowering ourselves in that kind of Philippians two kind of kenosis way. So this is one zinger. I had to just mention that this book doesn't pull punches. It's pretty. Uh, it, I I just I like it because it's it's pretty honest. It says Jesus didn't send a coded puzzle originally meant for comfortable Christians in the twenty first century. Jesus sent a stylized letter originally meant for struggling Christians in the first century. Um, let's just touch on that just briefly. Hey, you're a pastor and, and you gotta be a little bit careful here, but I'm just saying comfortable Christianity. I mean, describe that a little bit. I mean, we, we want these things to kind of work for us and and we want significance. We want this book to be about us and our, our triumph in this age. And, uh, at the same time, um, the American church represents a little bit of this comfortable, uh, sort of existence that, uh, is pretty unique in the history of Christianity and in the world assuredly, what does that look like? Um, how have you seen that? How how do you fight against that yourself? Because we all kind of struggle with some of that. Is that you know we we can get we can get sucked into that vortex of comfort pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know if I've got a great answer to it because we live in such a bubble in the in um, in the industrialized West that most of the world looks at us um, as, and experiences. Um, the United States in a different way than than we experience it. Uh, that I was I heard somebody recently talking about the the amount of uh, collateral damage. That's a gross word, uh, gross term. People killed, innocent children and women and men killed by drone strikes over in mm-hmm. the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly these drones that we think that we hear as some sort of statistic on the news, um, they are actually things that children live in fear of. Okay. Um, they live in fear of the great, uh, the great empire that could kill them mm-hmm. and not, and it wouldn't make a headline. Hmm. Nobody would know because I don't know is the the tragic truth. Um, they are somebody that I would love to hear what they think about revelation hmm. and what they think about hmm. um, the the great prostitute riding high on the beast of violence. Um, and that's not me trying to be incendiary. It's just the reality that the world is uh, I I am I live in a in a world that I don't even know how indebted I am to um, the blessings of the country that we live in, but then also the like the shadow side of it. Um, and the only thing I can do the longer the longer I live and the more complex I see that the world is um, is is I can just say. God help me. Like this is all weeds. Matthew tells the parable of um, weeds and wheat growing together. And it's probably talking about, uh, you know, Pharisaic um, merciless teachers of Torah versus more mercy filled people in Matthew's uh, in Matthew's original context. But I think and God and Jesus just says, let them grow together. Let them grow together and we'll sort it out. And I just have to trust that like God's going to sort it out. Um, yeah, I don't know if I've got great uh, immediate answers that are popping to mind other than um, I try to pay attention to the fact that I live in a bubble um, and listen to 
sisters and brothers from, you know, South America, from Southeast Asia, from, from India, from, from Europe, from Russia. Um, I'm trying to listen to the, especially the Christian tradition too, because, um, the, we live in the, the, um, Western Christianity is not, is not Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's not Christianity, but it's not the whole mm-hmm. of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And we would do well to listen. If, if we truly are a body, we would do well to listen to what's, what's being said mm-hmm. by uh, our brothers and sisters in other parts. Yeah. Well, and, and increasingly a, min- a minority in, in, in the world stage uh, in that the global South represents roughly 75% of Christians, which is crazy to think about, but true. And um, so I'm just, Hey, I'm, I've taken lots of your time here. I'm going to do two more quick things. So one other thing, we haven't really gotten to lots of the stuff and lots of the imagery and revelation. That wasn't exactly the goal of this uh, this talk is just to kind of have you nail down every single thing and we decode it like you don't want to and shouldn't we shouldn't. <laughs> uh, and so I'm going to leave some mystery around See the Strange. Go get the book. It's it's incredible. It's fun. It's, it's page turning in a way that you probably never thought of a commentary and may never again think about one. Uh, I'm going to just mention a couple tweets that you put out. And so this is still you. It's still kind of your thoughts. And I just, these were just impressive. And I I just think they're, they speak to this issue as well. But uh, one said, biblical literacy is not an end in itself. The world doesn't need more people winning Trivial Pursuit Bible Edition, knowing the Father's love, seeking the good of enemies with the Son, bearing the Spirit's fruit to nourish the world. Biblical literacy is a means to that end. Talk a little bit about how, yeah, just, just how we join with the Trinity and what God's up to on earth. Uh, in a way that actually honors the Bible instead of just knowing about it. Yeah, I mean, at some point you have to you have to answer the question of like, what is the Bible about? Um, it's a very difficult question to like. Thankfully, the church has given us some cliff's notes in the creeds. <laughs> like, that, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was the, that was their original intention. Mm-hmm. I don't know if mm-hmm. they intended for it to be around, uh, you know, a couple thousand years later, seventeen hundred years later. But um, the the scriptures are. Ultimately, the story of um, God, uh, who is rescuing us through his son by the power of his spirit so that we can rule and reign with God forever and ever. Amen. Um, he's calling us to be children um, and and heirs. Um, there, There's a profound sense of human dignity that like it's not just god isn't just the puppet master um pulling every string and determining every decision um micromanaging helicopter parent whatever he he really is growing us up to where we can um where we can take responsibility in whatever the mysterious future <laughs> you know after whatever post eschatology looks like yeah yeah um and the when you start recognizing that we're not that I, I, maybe this is me still as a you know this is child brett still taking this all very seriously and a lot of people aren't but when you start viewing the bible as that like we live in this profound mystery and we're all going to die <laughs> what then and what 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 kind of god is there and what is our destiny after death um, and what responsibility do we have? Suddenly, the Bible becomes not a trivia sort of thing. It becomes um, the it becomes the um, the script of the story so far. To borrow Kevin Van Hoosier, uh, Kevin Van 
Hoosier. 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 Yep. Hoosier. I knew yep. I knew Hoosier or whatever I said didn't <laughs> sound right. And N.T. Wright, have both, they both got their own versions of this. But um, we are reading the story so far and then we're improvising on the stage. And we're not free to improvise however we want. We learn the melody. Uh, we learn the, the the play so far from what's gone on. And then we improvise towards a future um, and we're improvising towards a future of of love and justice um, and not one of division and hatred and strife. So uh, the Bible becomes fuel and um, and guidance towards that end rather than pulling scriptures out, pla- plastering them on our picket picketing signs and uh and protesting whatever our pet project is that we actually learned not from the bible but we learned from our favorite cable news show um that's uh and so yeah we let the bible fuel you towards uh with the love of god revealed in jesus and the destiny that uh, god is taking the world towards which is one of um everything hateful being destroyed yeah um in that mysterious lake of yeah. fire yeah yeah well so just a, just some real quick ones so uh how lightning can, round yeah well yeah so uh help people out if they're just looking for like introductory resources obviously your book is a great place to start and i, I encourage people to get that what has helped you uh maybe just two or three things that have just been really helpful to you in in navigating this journey and coming uh you know in in coming to maybe just a maybe just a better understanding of scripture and and God's project and and the wholeness wholeness and healing that God has for each of us uh, maybe just a couple things that have been really just helpful to you along that journey that you'd pass on to people on the bible as a whole you cannot do better than the Bi- than bible project bible project is just taking um, the most cutting edge scholarship um, and distilling it down into um, moderate uh, form in their podcast and then really accessible form in in animated videos. Uh, if you're looking for, if it's on Revelation or just the Bible in general, Bible Project's podcast and their, um, and their uh, videos are a great place to start. On Revelation, uh, more particularly, I suppose um, Michael Gorman is the name of a scholar uh, who wrote a, a fine book called um, Reading Revelation Responsibly. Uh, that is uh, probably the most accessible um, introduction to revel and kind of overview of all of Revelation um, that I that I've found. Um, the uh, yeah, and uh, Richard Bauckham has a thin volume on Revelation called the Theology of maybe the Book of Revelation or something. It's a black, got a black cover. It's like thirty five bucks um, for a, a rather thin volume. But don't let thin be uh, bothering you. It is just chocked uh, full of insight that is written though at like a pretty undergraduate or graduate level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I'm. I'm racking my brain right now. Trying That's right. To Even just of, personally, just things that you, you have been just kind of refreshing to you on just like a personal spirituality or, or, um, I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, I'm just trying to think of some of the names that, you know, you'd kind of mentioned, but obviously I, I mean, if you have uh, 
you know, Bonhoeffer, Merton, Brueggemann. Yeah, if you if you haven't read, uh, yes, all of those are, are are fine places. Henry Nowen is going to be. I mean, man had a clue. Um, yeah, the writing of C.S. Lewis is, of course, just the hype is real. Um, if you haven't read Narnia, <laughs> read Narnia. Um, the I I frequently tell people the great divorce mm-hmm. and uh, the last battle mm-hmm. are probably two of the greatest books on like ultimate eschatological mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that I've, that I I've ever read. Yeah. Um, I find my soul continually uh, nourished by um, the volumes. Uh, it's a volume called uh, unspoken sermons by George MacDonald. Um, it's, uh, George MacDonald was a Scottish pastor that uh, was very influential on Lewis and Chesterton, and uh, and uh, he it's his nonfiction writing, and he George MacDonald um, understood that the the God that we serve is the God of love Hmm. and that, uh, there is nothing flimsy or spineless about his grace. No, it's a, it's a burning fire that will, uh, burn us down, uh, to the point where we can receive its warmth and its love and its light. So, uh, yeah, George MacDonald, um, I'll have to, I'll have to phone in. I'll yeah, say, no worries. We can, we can paste well, something and, and right here in the podcast. And then I was going to mention. So Richard Buckham wrote a book with Trevor Hart at the end of the uh, at the end of the twentieth century about eschatology, kind of state oh, at that me. time uh, called Hope Against Hope, oh. and it's a it's incredible. I mean, so so Buckham is from Edinburgh, and yeah. uh, obviously Trevor Hart is a he's a St Andrews guy that is kind of down the same vein, and they're both just incredible. And uh, when they teamed up, it's just a it's probably a little more accessible because it's not quite as um, it's not quite as um, neck deep and exit Jesus and whatever. It's just sure. kind of this cool, um, you know, eschatology kind of uh, presentation. And man, to have Bauckham, uh pitch your book and and go, there aren't many good books on Revelation. This is one of them. It's like, man, um, yeah, it felt pretty like, cool. Felt like a home run there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's help us out. How can we kind of find your resources? So you're yeah. an associate pastor at New Life Church. I am. I you, should have mentioned that yeah, earlier. Yeah, you have a website. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, brettdavis.org. Apparently you're supposed to have a website these days. So I've got one. And you got your uh, name. So. I got, got my name. <laughs> uh, brettdavis.com was taken. They wanted like four, whoever owns it wanted $4,000 for it. I well, said, every I, Brett Davis you come across, know, you may have to just I snipe know, them right? for the website. So. You can find me at brettdavis.org. Um, and then See the Strange uh, is a self-published work. The easiest way to find it is just uh, Amazon. See the Strange. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Oh gosh, man. It's been my, a blessing. In my pleasure. Hope to be back.